it going? Oh, Dave, you know what? It's been it's been a good week. Good weekend. I actually took uh, the the boy to see Man City Port uh, Man City Portsmouth. I hope uh, Man City <laughs> Arsenal. Um, I've tried my best to try and turn him into a Pompey fan. I took him to the JPT Nailed. Trophy final. You know, bought him a little foam hand, and uh, he still won't be converted. I needed to take him to Fratton Park on a night game, really, but. He's now got me going to watch Man City. So I was lucky enough to get a couple of tickets. So we went down there for the week, uh, the week, the, the, the Sunday, and we, we left because we thought it was over, you know, and then Arsenal with Trossard got one in the 11th plus minute. So that's what I've learned is don't leave too soon because, uh, you know, you might miss goals and penalties. And he was gutted. So uh, I was in the doghouse for a little bit. But, mate, it's been nice. Apart from all this rain, just getting back to it. Um, and looking forward to having another guest on. Yeah, you I, know, you've, um, you've lined up another guest. Your, your network of people is amazing. So who have you got for us today, Simon? It's a, it's a very good friend um, from Portsmouth called Julian Wadsworth. I don't know if he'll mind me putting MBE on the end. Maybe he'll tell us about that as we go uh, through the podcast today. But Julian was one of the first people that helped me get into the sport and youth work sector when I was a young lad. He gave me a chance to coach on some uh, community sessions in the local area. Uh, got to know some of the, the kids who are a bit lively in Portsea and uh, surrounding areas, which was good. Good grounding for me. I always say to any coach, if you can go and work in those environments, you can coach in any. So I always advocate that people should do that. And Julian's done some amazing work over the years in this um, sector, and he's still continuing to do it today. I, I know he's uh, just secured some good capital funding, so hopefully he'll be able to share some insights into that as well. Um, but yeah, he's a really great guest, really rich experience across a load of different sectors. And um, for anyone who works in uh, youth work and uh, above at strategic level all the way down to grass uh, and being on the grass, he's got some great insights that will help anyone. So I think uh, people are going to find this a really beneficial one. And um, yeah, he will have some key information that will inspire people. As we say, we're trying to inspire people to stay in this, be involved in this, especially in a challenging market that that, that world is with uh, all the things that uh, happen in that. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to having Julian and listening to what he's done. And um, if you wouldn't mind, Dave, if you just uh, have a chat with Julian and get him to introduce himself and we'll get yeah. an idea of his bio. Well, Julian, it feel, feels a great honour to introduce you to our listeners. How's it going, Julian? Yeah, all good. So all good. Thank you, David. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, it's, uh, I would say I'm, I'm I'm talking to you from the sunny Isle of Wight, but it's not quite the sun out yet. Um, we're hoping to get that in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, all good. All good here. Thanks, David. Good, good. Well, we like to kick things off with um, our guests to give a quick introduction to who they are and, and kind of, I suppose, what their journey to where they are now is. So We'll put you on the spot here, but do you want to quickly introduce yourself so that all our listeners, like Simon's given you a very good introduction there, but I'm sure you could top that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure about that. That was very. Uh, that was very kind words from Simon there. Um, yeah. So Julian Wadsworth. Um, I currently work for Community Action Isle of Wight, which is the voluntary sector support organisation on the island. I've got a. Uh, two roles really. One is a, a resilience coordinator, so that's a bit like a community development worker. I work in the, the Bay Area of the island, so for those of you that have visited the Isle of Wight in the past for holidays and so forth, um, that's a sort of sand down, sort of Shanklin Lake area, bit of a tourist resort, uh, uh, needs a bit of a uh, little bit of love, a uh, bit of TLC, a uh, bit of regen in the area. 
um, some risk factors, some vulnerability in the area. Um, so I've got a community development role, um, which is all ages really. So I've moved away a little bit from, from the work that I've done sort of for the last previous 25 years. But however, because there was a need for a youth provision, um, a positive activities youth provision, multi-tier uh, youth program in the area, and I, and I wasn't able to lever in support from other organisations just because of the, 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 their, their capacity. I've had to set something up myself. So I'm still in the game. I'm still in working with youths. Um, I'm still working um, through sport for development, art for development community safety, working with education as well. So, um, yeah, still involved in that, but a bit, got a bit of a wider role. Um, so, yeah, my, my career really, my career started in, in Portsmouth uh, like 25 years ago. I um, originally got involved through a number of different agencies. So I wanted to get a sort of rich understanding of different sectors. So when you talk about children's homes, look after care uh, for, the, for the county council, um, working with the youth offending team on a supervision uh, unit, so young people coming in that are on orders and meeting with them and trying to get them to complete their orders and so forth, but also working in the community with like um, uh, play services and youth services in, in some of the, 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 the high indices in of multiple deprivation um, and some mentoring one-to-one -one programs. So what I did for a couple of years was do a variety of roles, paid and volunteering. Uh, you know, I've got to say, when I started off in my career path, I've done, I volunteered because I wanted to have that rich experience across the sector. Um, and then, and then, basically, uh, there was a program, uh, 1999, kicked off called Positive Futures National yeah. Program Drug Strategy Unit, um, that that was using sport and the arts as a as a as a positive activities program in areas of high deprivation or vulnerability. So that was a community program. And I think the same as some of my colleagues that have um, that have gone off and, and set up really successful charities or organizations across the country, I think, I think that really shaped some of our delivery models and methodology for the next, you know, what we're talking about now. We're talking 23, we're, we're talking um, 23 years really. So that program, um, was was mainly aged at 10 to 18 year olds. Um, I wouldn't say it was a, a youth inclusion program because I don't know if anybody remembers the youth inclusion programs that used to run, which was to target the top 50 young people uh, who with risk and vulnerabilities. But but I always sort of said, okay, them pro them programs are very beneficial, but there needs to be a big wraparound service for those young people on on the on the edge or just young people that haven't got the access to free activities and sport because even though we talk about poverty has increased you know there's always been poverty and not all families can afford young people that lack confidence young people that might be on that little bit of that edge of getting involved in in risk-taking behaviors you know sometimes you know when we were growing up and you know i probably put us so i'm in in this age bracket as well you know we, we could go out and be independent and get involved in things yes clubs always possibly join the football team there would always be some some subs but it's much more difficult for young people over the last 25 years to to take part in free activity because things cost so the the you know my methodology and it was was probably developed through some learning experiences and life experiences working through a range of settings and it, it just fell in that this national program that then lasted for 12 to 13 years sort of shaped the methodology um and that's yeah that's sort of been the 
the bedrock of my, my delivery model, even though that I've worked for a range of different national charities, local charities, um, and now based on the island for the, the, the voluntary sector organisation on the island. So it's, yeah, that's 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 my, been my career path as such. So, Thanks, Julian. Uh, that's a good, good yeah. introduction there. How how did you actually come to it, though, Julian? This is the thing I've never had a conversation about, actually, is what drew you to it? Because it's quite a challenging um, mm. area of work. And um, so when you were a younger lad and you're, you're first starting out on your career path, you know, what, what attracted you to this? You know, why did you think, you know, that's an area that really interests me and I want to make a difference because yeah, it's not I'll, for everyone, is it? No, yeah. I think I think so. I'm probably I can't probably never sort of uh, sort of highlighted this really, but um, I'm probably same as lots of other lads and lasses in mm. in the country now and before. You know, my my only interest when I was at school um, and and growing up, obviously, you know, I think you know where I grew up. I think you probably knew that um, some of my friends and 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 so forth colleagues were a little bit on the edgy side. Um, but my only interest was, was sport and football. Uh, mm. really grown up and then sort of about sort of 14 15 um i've got an illness uh, i got told sort of 16 even though i was still playing uh you know i've signed on for a, at the time i did one club at the time uh, doing athletics for hampshire but um my health deteriorated um i got sort of told about 16 17 that you know any any sort of like competitive sport was going to be out of the question for me and, and my only backup because um all my my, 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 my my dad my grandparents my grandfathers were all in in the military mm -hmm. but it also ruled out that uh sort of avenue as well so i was in a little bit of a quagmire of what i would do and i think you know i think i didn't really know what i wanted to do so i just done a basically i just done a range of jobs you know working mm -hmm. uh working in 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 retail industry ibm and I think I, I was looking for a bus because sport was no longer there for me. The military was was a no-goer and I was a little bit lost, really. But the only thing I really enjoyed was travelling. So, well, mm. I didn't really know what travelling was, but it was a bus. So I think mm. that's what I've done was I've done any job from sort of the ages of about 18 to sort of 22 just to save up the money um, mm. to, to go travelling with my pals. My, most of my pals were builders, so they could just take three months off or or a year off and then and then go traveling for it and you know and i think that also if i'm honest with you i think that helped me in terms of my um oh, i don't know it's just i think it's a subconscious things so if, you, if, if you're 21 travel to 22 and you travel the world mm. just make i just think it opens your eyes up a little bit in terms of uh communities culture lifestyles and it probably makes you you know it probably makes you a more grounded individual so i think mm. the reason i got involved i remember coming back from one of my stints traveling and uh the there was a guy that i knew ex-army pti uh worked at a children's home over in in, in haven um run by hampshire county council i think they were struggling with the cohort that i had there there wasn't anyone apart from this guy that was a bit sporty Mm -hmm. So I remember having a conversation with him. Um, I, I think I've done a little bit of sort of volunteering. I'll come back, done a little bit of volunteering, I think, for a range of different charities and services, just to, just to keep busy, really. And I think the guy sort of asked me to come up to the children's home and, and do some work up there. With You know, it was my fascinating. I mean, you've you done all the training, mm -hmm. training and everything. But I quickly, even though I enjoyed working with the, you know, quite vulnerable young people, the, the, the young people in care, 
I just I didn't like the environment of that closed environment really, and uh, and and that that's where it sparked from really. I, I think I've done about three months, three or four months in children's homes. Really enjoyed working with young people. Found that I had uh, probably through my experiences a bit of empathy. Plus, I obviously you know interacted throughout my life with with some of my pals that maybe made wrong life choices. Mm. Um, and I think the, the traveling also sort of just out me. And I think I just found it easy to communicate with uh, young people that were, you know, at the time we, we, we didn't really talk about adverse childhood experiences and trauma, but that's what it, you know, young people have been through trauma. And I, I just found that if you spoke to them on their level, but with a professional boundaries, mm. you could get the most out of it. And that's, a, that's how it developed. You know, I like my sport, mm. even though I couldn't compete in sport, I just, passionate about all sports um, and it just sort of fell into my lap that um i then through the the different organizations that i worked for and then i saw this this new project being set up and i was successful um and then i just walked straight into a a sort of national you know lit coordinator for a for a national pro you know launch of a new national program using mainly sports but arts as well to engage young people in areas of high deprivation so that's how it, that's how it was it was not a chosen pathway i didn't go to university um it wasn't as though i was 15 16 and said i want to be a youth worker or mm. it was by default to be to be fair because going back to your traveling obviously when we were working together uh, and you were overseeing the projects that i delivered some football stuff on um you, you inspired me to go to south america you know you said oh i've been here 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 and i i followed that route i went to florinopolis and uh, all along the coast there and saw some great things now I, I you know my own childhood was difficult my dad took his own life when i was a kid you grow up with that sort of stuff and it lived so some of us can get our our, our sort of um selves in a place where we can still function and go i'm gonna you know go traveling i'm gonna earn that money you said you've done a variety of different jobs i was similar i worked on the ferries in portsmouth cleaning them planes all this sort of stuff to get money what do you think you know is also at play there that prevents some people also being inspired to go i'm just going to do it earn some money and then go off and travel or do something uh, which gives us that bit of time doesn't it to reflect and enjoy things in those younger years what are some of those barriers that some people face that stops them, even if they've had adverse training, uh, haven't had the adverse or have had it? Because I mm -hmm. had it, but I still, you know, similar to your mates, got involved in lots of different things that probably got me involved with the police. Uh, but I recognised when I got to 20, this isn't the route for me. I don't want to keep because I was starting to do more and more things that were getting worse and worse, you know, and you go, well, actually, it won't be long where I'll get a prison sentence or something. So for me, I, I managed to come away from it. And I think my family support and you touched on family support there was key to that. Is that something that you see as a trend or what sort of insights could you supply people in and around why people branch off in different ways? Yeah, I think I think, you know, for a lot of young people, obviously, you know, the main thing is confidence, you know, to have that confidence to go, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get out of my little community with that support mechanism, even though sometimes that support mechanism sometimes, you know, even though it might not be the most protective mechanism mm. in place, you know, if there, if there is a, a turmoil within the family home, but it's still it's still comfort for, for some young adults and young people. We're talking about young adults here as well. Um, obviously, you know, you've got to have that determination. You can't just fly off. You've got to You've got to have a little bit of a plan in place. You've got to have a little bit of back, and you've got to go through all the processes for your visas. And for some people, the resilience there to be able to 
to do all that is still, you know, even nowadays when, you know, I remember going traveling and, it, you know, people were always been traveling. I'm not saying I was a, I was a, a trendsetter in any way, shape, because there was, a, there was, you know, for 30 years before there's people going to obscure places. But what I'm saying is, is, is now it's much more common now, you know, yeah. people do yeah. go, go common now, but I think still, there was still, you know, there's still drawbacks for, you know, money, you know, to have the money and to be able to set that up, to have the resilience to go through the processes, to apply for visas and do all that. But I think probably the biggest, probably the two biggest things is the confidence and also leaving that, you know, to, to be away from their family and friends, you know, maybe maybe they, they're they 20 and they've got, or 18 or something like that and they've got a partner um, and the partner's not, doesn't want to do that. They're, they're set on a... Uh, on a on a career path or or an education and so i think you know it's various reasons it's got to be horses of course it's not for everybody it's not you know some people go some people do it don't they simon and uh you know within two three weeks they've gone they've been done all the resilience they've saved the money up they've gone away for two three three weeks they're supposed to be doing a year trip or six month trip and 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 and, and they come home you know so yeah. it's, it's it's not great i mean i'm not saying in any way shape or form to be a grounded individual to get into this sector you need to go traveling i'm not saying that at all but <laughs> I, I, I just think you know if, if 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 you know i've got i've got young uh, young adults at the moment that we, we've been putting through training i remember last summer uh you know i had a, a lad that i was just moving into some paid work uh, over the summer and he got offered a a, 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 a marvelous experience to do the same job mm. but it, 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 abroad in in europe in a european um sort of uh, coastal region and it was a it was a six to eight week program and he, he sort of come to me and said you know what do you think and i said go yeah. go you know go go and go and have that experience you know i can only offer you a certain amount of, of paid work and you're going to get paid for doing something you really enjoy and you want a career path and it's going to be a marvelous opportunity so you know i would always encourage people if you know if i know that they've got their plans in place and and it's not they're not running away from something i think because mm. that could yeah. be another alternative that, that they're trying to run away from something um then yeah I, I would i would encourage it but i do understand why young other young people young adults are reluctant that want to do it they have aspirations mm. but just can't make that 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 move to to do that really but, it's, but i it, think it gives you seeing other cultures even just seeing other countries for glimpses it does change your perspective on life doesn't it and it to be fair it also gives you new thoughts of maybe like if you are like at a crossroads um yeah. in your life like where you want to go next like like my, my wife's canadian and um she's from the west bit of canada which is quite rural and 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 big on farming and stuff like that and what she's been trying to do with her nieces and nephews there they're all getting to like 18 19 and what she's trying to do is get them to come over here and see a bit of europe just to kind of widen their horizons because she's worried that their view of life is is like this like where she's from most people either end up working in farming or um they go to get involved in mining or working in the oil fields in in alberta whereas what she's kind of trying to stress to her nieces and nephew my niece is nephew as well thinking about it um <laughs> it's uh is there's more to life than spending the next 40 years down a mine or working in like the tar sand fields which i don't think is very good for both both the environment and also for your health so she's trying to get them to see there's more to life than that but um yeah it, it it's that 
widening the horizons and i think and going back to kind of what you were saying there, if do you think you would be where you are now if you hadn't been traveling i know this sounds like we're trying to push traveling in a big way but um it's just interesting to kind of hear where you think your life would be without that kind of perspective you got yeah no it is difficult to say i mean I, I, like i say i still have the little bit of the bug for traveling it's still there although i've got a family now and, I'm, and it's not it's not so easy to do so um i'm not really sure i can't really comment on that one but the one thing i would say is in, in the current place that i work i can see some correlation between a little bit about what you've been talking about there david yeah. and, the Isle of, and the Isle of Wight specifically in terms of young people because you know even just one of the aspirations for the work we're doing on the island with young people is 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 you know and and i remember distinctly simon that when we were working in the port sea area you know this just goes to shows you know you're probably talking 12 years ago plus now but even in places like port sea and and portsmouth you know i was quite shocked when we we were taking them sort of along the the seafront area quite you know till from three miles up the seafront area and sort of 14 year old lads had not mm. gone and didn't understand yeah. you know, I, I think we went past the marine barrack the old marine barracks once and they said oh what's that over there we've never been we've never been that far and i was quite shocked by that because growing up where i grew up even as a you know 10 11 year old we, we would get on our push bikes and we would be exploring mm. yeah. you know i grew up i grew up in in paul's grove and then places like crockland and we would be on our push bikes um, and we would be going six or seven miles eight miles mm. on our push bikes out for the day and what i've seen is you know it's, it's a difficult one on the island now you know there is some there are some young people that haven't been off the island mm. um, so it's you know what what we're trying to do is now is, is giving them life experiences we're not talking about traveling going abroad at the moment no yeah give them life experiences you know maybe taking them to the mainland maybe maybe taking them you know saying universities for everybody some of them you know some young people i've spoke to does you know they're 14 15 they don't know what a university is i'm not saying that that academia is for them but at least explore and see what the the opportunities are so yeah that's the bread and butter what we're doing at the moment so it's this you know we're talking about going traveling abroad and and, and so forth but I, i'm talking about small steps as well i'm talking about yeah going to see another community within your city or uh, uh, you know uh, uh, an environment um one of the things that we've got on our island you know we're a, a biosphere we got the biosphere status you know and a lot of young people don't really you know i think under don't really appreciate what they've got the island is a natural asset and i think some of the yeah. young people here don't really understand it so we're, we're talking small steps in certain agendas really but is that i suppose like an example i used to live by the beach but when i lived by the beach you kind of took it for granted you just you didn't ever get, <laughs> didn't go to the beach very often at all and then once you leave that area you then think oh actually i would like going to the beach but you i suppose what's close to you you take for granted is that part of the issue do you think with the yeah. children you're working with I mean, maybe maybe it's part of the issue but it's also you know uh showing them what they can do because you know you've, yeah. got, a group of, you've got a group of lads you know that maybe uh, uh, you know maybe they're taking a few risk factors maybe they're not enjoying education um and all they want to do is play football but then when we yeah. talk about the beach or water sports they're not interested in yeah so, you know then to start talking about beach soccer which mm. which on the island is 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 um is probably the historic center of beach soccer which is now becoming 
a massive uh, miss. You know, in, in the next few years, I think beach sports generally is mm. going to is going to break through in terms of national governing bodies and corporate and media in the UK. And the Isle of Wight really has been the, the historic centre of all of that. So it's just again the the potential and just giving an introduction to some young people that would not independently gravitate towards those those opportunities is is part of the job as a youth worker or sports coach uh, as such our guest last week uh, george jeremy he's the um, he's the owner and director of uh, malaga city academy which is something he set up um for young people uh, to play football so they come from all around the world and live in malaga for a year and train as professional footballers uh, and he's always offering that opportunity and he's now representing england at beach football um, so those opportunities that you talk about are a new pathway aren't they for someone and mm. uh, to also not only just play that sport from the health perspectives but the social elements the experience broadening and trying to go to a variety of different places and just go what's this like you know we've both been to brazil and playing football on copacabana beach and how tiring it is playing on sand and the different skill set you've got to have just those experiences are, are mind-blowing because when i used to work for fulham in london it was the same they were in brixton if they went to the next borough over, which was, um, you know, sucks, Surrey, you know, they would say they were going to the countryside still in Greater London. And you just thought they'd go into the countryside. That's how small their world is, isn't it? And it's even shrinking more in those big cities because of these postcode things that they encounter and not being able to cross those borders. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, social media and, and, and the Internet has opened up, you know, wider opportunities to view you know virtually go and see but at the same time on on the actual ground mm. some of the things that you just alluded to not 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 necessarily um in in the environment that we're work, we're working but some of those no-go places are now are now there in their local communities because of the the risk and threat of things around gangs county lines and and so forth so it's a the, 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 you know, since we started, and let's be brutally honest about this, since 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 I started in, in in working in the sector 25 years ago, there's you know some things have become more positive, other things have become much more fluid, complex, mm. and and risk and threat themes of 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 have increased around certain agendas. So it's it's you've got to be adaptable to the sector. What is your passion to keep going with it then, Julian? Where yeah. does that come from? Because it takes great reserves of energy to yeah. um, keep wanting to turn up and uh, do these because uh, it is a difficult sector. You do face lots of challenges, um, not in your own control, people making decisions outside of your control that you can influence. Of course you can, but you know it can be frustrating on occasions. Uh, we've had discussions about that. So where does your drive, that passion come from to keep going with it? Uh, can you pinpoint that? I mean, it's, it's probably. I mean, it's, it's it's a really difficult one. But obviously, when I moved to the island, in terms of my my role, it wasn't Pacific around young people. It, mm. We I had a couple of KPIs around originally about getting more young people involved in volunteering. But then, when I realised that there was no youth, free youth provision of any type, apart from the paying clubs, mm. um, you know, and we had a the area that we started when I first started the role, there was there was a bubbling up of, of large groups of young people. There was negative headlines around, you know, young people have taken over the town. Um, and I just thought, well, because 
I just thought it was an easy, you know, early intervention and prevention for me is key. You know, let's yes. get the, if, 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 if you've got a strategy for prevention, you know, and a little bit of a strategy for early intervention, you're, you know, you can um, reduce the risk factors. Um, obviously, in, in, in some of my language at the moment, in terms of the island, is, has been... You know, uh, it, we've got sort of 18 to 24 months to really do some collaborative, robust work, and which does involve bringing resources in. Um, and obviously, the Isle of Wight is not necessarily seen as one of those areas where there's, you know, big investment because of the, 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 the because of maybe some of the risks and threats aren't seen for the data, aren't seen as, as, as much as other areas, the unit trees on the south coast, and obviously the typical areas that you would think of. But you know, unfortunately, because there's there's on the island, we've got other vulnerabilities that are way above anything I've seen elsewhere in terms of maybe the, the number of young people that are not in education and some of the right. mental health issues. Um, uh, deprivation levels are comparable with some of the some of the worst in the country. You know, the, the, the attitude I've got really is is you know there's an opportunity here. Um, the opportunity is to make the island as robust and as safe as possible before some of the stuff we we are seeing increasingly becoming complex on the mainland hits the Isle of Wight, which undoubtedly it will do. Even if it's going to be a much more smaller percentage of the risk factors on the mainland, the, the, the result could be quite um, quite substantial on the island because of the other vulnerabilities and, and you know, just the makeup of the island. So for me, it's like, it's an easy it's an easy win for me to to deliver the the program i've been operating for 18 months now and we we got we got partnerships and contracts with a number of national governing bodies you know we're funded from the police crime commissioner's office uh we were funded from the ministry of justice for the sport crime fund only only one of 220 in the country and only one of three in hampshire it without being arrogant it does come easy to me mm. Um, but I'll, I'll take your point. As soon as you get involved in youth work in the community, but with strategy in education, community safety, sport for development, you are in it, and it does become complex. You 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 do see things that maybe other colleagues may not see because you're out on the street all the time to touch youth work. You're building trust and relationships up with young people that aren't legally. You know, it's not a legal response for them to be coming along to your program. So you might actually build trust up quite quickly with them and then you get disclosures and then you get their aspirations or their what they see as the challenges in the local community. And you've got to basically digest all that and mm. come to a conclusion about, you know, what you should be putting in in terms of the requests of young people, but also looking at a prevention, early intervention plan and working collaboratively so yeah i'm not gonna lie it is it is tough work yeah you know, regardless if you're frontline middle management or strategic and you know i've gone back on my tools for the last 18 months at the same time as i'm doing strategic work so one minute i'm i'm pounding the, the seafront at nine o'clock at night and the next I'm, I'm in a strategic meeting um you know around sport crime or or or, or something like that so it's it, it's sometimes it's difficult to to move between the two and also it's quite you know it's type time consuming quite emotionally draining sometimes and i've you know that would be as if i'm mentoring someone that 
who's got the potential, has got the aspirations to run their own program and become a program manager or even CEO of a charity working in the youth sector. You know, they, they've got to be resilient. They've got to build resilience amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. They've got to know that they remain a personal individual, but at the same time, they can't take things to heart. Yeah. You know, so if, you know, any, any young youth worker, sports coach that is working in, you know, not, not in a club environment per se, because then I think anybody working in the club environment, if that, if, you know, if, if a young person speaks to them in a, in, a, in a detrimental manner, I think they're going to be affected by that. But if you're talking in a community, community element, you know, if we're walk, walking past a group of young people doing detached work, um, we got our ID badges on, you know, we're highly recognised who we are, and we stop them and 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 sort of tactfully ask if we can have a chat with them. And they use colourful language to tell us to job on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you can't take that to heart. It's nicely put, yeah. yeah. Because I know that maybe in three weeks' time, when they get wind of a boxing programme or a football programme or, a, I don't know, uh, an urban sports programme, and they know that you're the guys that are running it for free, all of a sudden their attitude next time might turn from complete, you know, jog on to inquisitive. Mm, yeah. So actually, they, they, you know, six months' time, they could become the... The, the most reliable um, participant on the program. So, yeah. yeah, I think it'd be good to to kind of focus in, like you mentioned about, you know, what you have, what you need to have in place, well, what you need to deal with and things like that. I suppose a lot of our listeners are very interested to hear about people in different walks of life and also different jobs, different roles, is how they cope with those uh, the negatives, I suppose, as part of their role. So, like, what kind of coping mechanisms have you used, or or how do you kind of switch off? I suppose when you're when you're going through those stressful or, shall we say, not so nice parts of the. Of the yeah, I mean, I mean, being brutally honest, I can switch off in terms of young people's. You know, maybe maybe they feel that we've not provided what they want. I mean, it's very unusual, but um, you know, say for example, I don't know, someone's bound, someone's gone over the boundaries in terms of maybe. Yeah. I mean, Bullying. I'll give bullying because bullying is 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 a, is a negative behaviour that we don't tolerate. Um, and there might be obviously reasons behind that. They might be bullied at home. They might have trauma. Um, but you might have to sort of have a conversation with a young person about their behaviour towards another young person, and they could call you every single name. And in, in, uh, you know, I don't. I can I can switch off from that. I, it's not yeah. a problem to me. In terms of my staff, I think I think regular supervision. Um, understanding the perspective of the young person you know all my staff have a, a trauma-informed practice training it's absolutely essential that whatever environment you're working in whether you're working with adults particularly vulnerable adults or young people everybody you know so that's one thing i'd say to all would be sports coaches and youth workers get your get your trauma-informed training and get your aces adverse child experiences training and understand it um, you don't have to be an academic or counsellor or psychotherapy to, for therapists to do that work. It just gives you a broad heading. Obviously, you know, staff to do all their training around safeguarding is essential, but supervision, you know, sitting down with your staff members, discussing it as a team, going through scenarios, working with each other. You know, I'm, I've been in the sector for 25 years. I think the day that I say I know it all is the day that I jack in because you... you, you we're working with young people in this sector, scenarios that you've never seen a sort of like a, a, a pilot or a protocol scenario or you've experienced a, a scenario before will pop up undoubtedly 
And sometimes there's not, you know, there, there, there could be two or three ways of dealing with it that are equally suitable, but it will be based on that particular incident and that time. So nothing's ever perfect. Um, I can assure you of that. But I think I think I'll, I'll find it much easier to cope with the, the challenges working with young people than some of the strategic stuff. You know, and I've got to be open with that. I do get equally frustrated. I'll, I'll get frustrated. And, and probably that's caused me the most stress is, is the strategic mm. element of it when when you feel maybe that there's not a joined up approach or there's a denial or there's not the the, the ambition and the investment to, to go alongside what's required for that community or that city or that town so mm -hmm. yeah i know one thing that we get we've had a few questions from listeners and also um a few of our guests have talked about this but i suppose it sounds like you've got a good suite there of, of coping mechanisms but the thing that comes up quite a bit is how people can switch off or when they're not in work mode so to speak how what you know what do you do to relax that that means you you know you're not thinking about uh, say some negatives you might have had in your in your in the day kind of thing that's the that's yeah. something that a lot of people feed back on us they're intrigued to know what people um do to kind of um switch well, off i suppose yeah i mean I've, I've had all range of things you know people finish work you know people that have had a difficult day within work will just go, go you know i don't know um some sort of meditation other yeah. people just go for a walk in the country uh, fortunately for me, or, or depending on what you're saying, I've got young kids at home. So as soon as I get through the door, my boy wants me to go out and play football. Or my daughter wants me to watch her. Yeah, do do a ballet practice. So it's, it's it's again. I think it's down to the individual. Each individual will have a different coping mechanism, um, whether that's functional in in terms of some sort of meditation. Maybe they, you know, let's be pretty honest with you. Some some people with partners might come home and just offload what's been going on during the day yeah. which might be helpful in some ways but could also be a burden um so again i'll talk with you know we, what i've always tried to do is talk with a team especially if we've had a difficult one or i know individuals had a difficult one it's just talk through how they feel um if if, if, if you know people always doubt whether they've acted appropriately as well so it's reassurance around that and you just hope that they then can come back in the next day and it's put behind them and they crack on and they, it's not it's not affected their personal life which is you know yeah. obviously look let's be if we got a serious safeguarding issue which you know they don't come up all that often but they do come up you know if we've got a really serious safeguarding issue or an incident it will affect everybody it will yeah. it will affect everybody within the team but i think as you become more experienced in this sector your resilience also builds. Is mm. when I was working with you in Portsmouth, you you helped and guided me. You gave me uh, tips and hints on what to do. Um, now that's an ongoing thing for you as a mentor to others. Who who's sort of played a role in mentoring you? You know, where, who's been a big influence on helping you shape the, the the ways and the methodologies that you've created across not just being on the ground, but that strategic level where you know there is a different sort of narrative around strategic things which can be frustrating so yeah. you probably needed some sort of you know um help with that is anyone stuck out for you that's played yeah, a part? there's a lady called zena in portsmouth she's based in portsmouth she's always been um one of the people that that uh was a trailblazer in our approach to work and has worked at the very highest level 
um, being chair of Ofsted, and and she's always been uh, uh, a Hobson. She's always been a, a massive support to me. Um, and then there's been local people, you know, not so much strategic, but just local mm. people that you can speak to. You know, you club <clears throat> managers that have been there for years. Um, you know, there was Brenda down in Port C that yeah. was, was, you know, in terms of that real community feel. Yeah, uh, she was like the that. glue, wasn't she? Of that, yeah, you know, yeah. That so, so in terms of early career path, it's been community people. As I've developed strategically, it's been it's been people, regardless of what role of. And I know that they've got certain answers to certain things around. Mm. And also just testing the water in terms of, uh, you know, so yeah, it's, there's, I must admit, working within the environment, um, I've got a really good, really good guy now, really good guy, CEO, uh, really understands the sector, even though he's not, he, he's a community, you know, he runs a community, massive community program that that has a range of different uh, programs across different ages and so forth. He's, he's, he's really good. And we always sit down and talk about, future steps, strategy, the challenges, how to overcome those challenges and so forth. So that's really positive. Um, but yeah, oh, if I'm honest with you, sometimes, and, I'm, and this is not disrespectful to people that I've worked with, sometimes I know more than them. So it's mm. difficult sometimes. And sometimes I can get a bit defensive about that. Mm, you know, yeah. Because even though I'm not being arrogant, I'm going to seek their advice. That Sometimes I don't know, you know, the, the subject matter that we're trying to discuss, they really need to be Going a bit of a deep dive before they start, we having a discussion down because their knowledge, the knowledge base around that particular agenda is is very limited. Yeah. Um, so that's not being arrogant for me. It's just because sometimes you're dealing with an organisations where they've got a range of different agendas um, mm. and di different programs. So yeah. So any listeners out there that are coming into this sector are considering it. What sort of traits do you sort of say? You know, if you can, if you can be um, or consider these things, it will equip you or prepare you um, a little bit because we obviously know you've got to be flexible, adaptable, uh, be able to shift with the the, the, the the sands of time that will happen on any project. But, you know, if someone's inspired by listening to what you're saying, um, what sort of things could they start to focus on from that volunteering perspective or their first journeys or forays into it? Yeah, I mean... Uh... <laughs> I'll still go back to what I experienced, which is a variety of settings, because I think mm. that gives you an overarching understanding of it also supports with partnership work and collaboration, which, you know, we've not really talked too much about. But I think that's absolutely vital um, mm. in terms of what we do, especially if you're working in the community environment, you know, we're, we're, we're even within an education environment or statutory environment, you've got to have understanding of partnerships and collaboration, because that's the only way we're going to make positive outcomes i think what i you know get get the training on the about not just the formal qualifications around degrees mm. and j and c qualifications but also all the all the knowledge base you know so understanding what what child uh, child exploitation is what are and try and keep up with the latest intelligence you obviously you've got to it's got to be proportionate to the level of, of responsibility for that individual and also the hours that they're working because you don't want people that are just bombarded with lots of knowledge base but actually it's, it's to overburden them so but i think one of the things look let's be brutally honest you can put people on degree courses but if they haven't got natural mm. they haven't got the natural genuine interest and communication skills working with young people mm. they're going to struggle yeah. So, you know, we can put the training on, um, but obviously we pick up quite quickly if, if 
if young workers have got the potential um obviously the methodology simon my methodology has always been the so it's been tweaked but it's you know the, the let's be brutally honest if you go out to the street and you ask young people what they want in yeah. the community they're going to say sport yeah some are going to say art some yeah. are going to say things around you know training around employment an awful lot are going to want a youth center a youth club a youth cafe or something like that mm -hmm. so it's it's making sure that that any worker coming through is not completely tunnel vision in terms of what they like so let's put in an example a youth worker who's really experienced and knows all their legislation is a typical youth worker but it's got no interest in sport yeah okay even if they've got no interest in sport for me they're like a marketer mm. you know when young people meet with them they've got to be able to sell that activity because young people pick up very quickly if that individual's got a passion for them mm -hmm. and for the activity that they've requested so if someone turns up and says a youth worker that can't stand cricket yeah young people have asked for cricket and he said yeah next week we got cricket on down at the park at two o'clock mm -hmm. young okay. people are going to pick up on that and equally mm -hmm. you think about it if you think about combining a, a youth worker uh, and uh, you know someone with an art that you know or sports worker typical uh, i don't know let's say we got a boxer yeah, yeah we've got a boxer and we say well we're going to do a photography project next week you're part of the team you're part of the holistic youth work team or the sports coaching team but we know you're you you know you're a level one level two level two boxing coach and that's really what they're they're, they're channeled in on but we got a photography project and you know they're not really interested they think it's all a bit fluffy yeah you know i don't want to see that mm. i want to see even though they might not have the skills they're not the photographer we're bringing up a, a specialist photographer in but they need to be as passionate and they need to and the other thing about all of this is and we've got a team meeting today actually and i've got a new member of staff starting and i've got a university placement starting in september and the thing i will be saying is 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 really have a firm understanding of all the offers we got currently on and the offers coming through mm. so when you build that relationship up with that young person and they disclose to you i don't know for example last week we took a group of young people to cows week yeah only one of the group have ever been to cows week before and then we got we went off onto a royal navy we take was taken by one royal navy vessel to another royal navy vessel that was offshore yeah um just for a little bit of a life experience you know mm. but it, you know there could have been one or two young people out in the community that join in our activities that 15 mm. and 16 that wants to know more about a military career yeah mm. so it's like making sure the staff are aware of that so when these opportunities arise they're there at the sessions and promoting it but then go hi you know elizabeth you said you said to me two months ago you were really thinking about doing a uniform services uh college course and you were thinking about joining the royal navy as a medic mm -hmm. you've got this opportunity coming up yeah so it's it's it's, it's 360 thinking but it's mm -hmm. also you know going back to the bread and bar of it as well it's, it's staff members having 360 vision within their community or sessions as yeah. well so they can see what's going on one of the things we do and, and i suppose we have talked about challenges already but one of the things we always ask our guests is i suppose what's the biggest challenge they faced to you know 
up to where they are now. Now, I, I, for someone like yourself who's been involved in so many different things, this may not be an easy, <laughs> easy question to answer. But yeah. I suppose well, what, what comes yeah. to mind for you, I suppose. Yeah. Well, challenges. Well, I'll talk about challenges in terms of risk and threat, and also in terms of you know the other the other things that form part of the the program. I think I think for the last six years working in Portsmouth and the surrounding area, I think my biggest challenge has been the a subject a risk and threat that's always been there since the days of fagan but it's it's just increasing it's become organized and due to a variety of reasons it, it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to tackle so so when we talk about child criminal exploitation county lines yeah and and the risk and threat of violence exploitation grooming um and young people also thinking that that lifestyle is a glam lifestyle mm. The last six or seven seven years i'll say when it when it's always been there but i just saw in in terms of our south coast areas i've seen a massive increase in that over the last seven years mm -hmm. um that's been a massive challenge um on a on a more local level tombstoning down at old portsmouth during the summer holiday breaks is <laughs> as much as that might seem quite um minor for for risk and threat for local residents and business it's a massive issue and and over the last sort of 20 years it's gone from being you know 90 percent local young people from the the surrounding area to a little bit wider across the city to to young people coming in you know 10 15 miles outside of the city mm. where's the relationships and, and trust and and diversionary to, to attract that and you know i haven't got that problem because i'm not working there now but i do feel that 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 um you know voluntary sector youth agencies statutory youth agencies police police crime commission and local authorities are, you know it's a difficult problem really difficult problem and it's, there's no easy win on that one um simon i think you you probably got a little bit of experience of that Yeah, you know, everyone used to go down there and jump off the hot walls and the, the square tower. You know, I know two lads uh, used to jump off or dive off the front post at the pier, you know, and one of them ended up, you know, being paralyzed. And um, then he went on to take his life eventually uh, because of that. Um, you know, and another guy, someone jumped off and landed on his head when he was in the water already. So it's extremely dangerous. People don't understand the risks, especially with the riptides in and around there as well that can take you into the, the busy shipping lane that we know uh, happens with ferries in and out and fishing vessels and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and the, the risk of it is, is we know that adolescent boys need that sort of adrenaline. They've also then got their peers who are influencing them to do risk-taking behavior. Uh, and it is trying to connect with them because their peer relationships are so strong, aren't they? To go, look, have you considered the, you know, the potential negatives of this? And then it's the cat and mouse on the day, isn't it? Of, you yeah. know, police trying to get them off community wardens and everyone trying to influence that. And that's where it goes back to that collaborative approach that you've touched on. It can't just be the message coming from one source. It has to be multi-source to say, look, think about all these different variables. Because um, I, I think... We, we just want to keep them safe, don't we? But they don't realise actually the threat. And when I was that age, we didn't. We were just down the beach, jumping off, doing what we wanted to do. Um, and it, there is, there's real um, safeguarding issues there. But the influence as well, like you said, of county lines. 
I know a guy who used to be uh, a drug dealer. Two of his friends got murdered by young lads coming down from London um, who had sold them drugs, then stole the drugs and killed them. And you just think they don't always consider some of the people that they're working with or collaborating with in these settings are ruthless people. They are really ruthless and it's dangerous work. And uh, th those young people in London, when I, when I did my work in Brixton, they're groomed into it, those poor kids. They don't know any different. And um, their, their experiences have shaped them to almost be a bit numb in certain respects. I've got a good friend now who does, um, you know, Rottle, you know, resettling people when they leave prison. And he's trying to use the sports projects in Kent to do that. Um, you know, and he's saying that the percentage of young people going in for more extreme crime is going really up. Over 40 percent increases in certain places, you know, and that's for murder and also being caught with big amounts of drugs. And these poor kids, you know, they are still kids in my eyes, even though they're, they're in young offenders. They've been groomed into it from a very young age. And it is, you know, a really difficult, challenging situation because the pressure on them to try and then change their their direction is huge, isn't it? Have you experienced similar sort of things in trying to get to those people because you're you know you, you've touched on um getting in early and trying to signpost away but then on the other end of the spectrum these ones who are deeper in it can be harder to try and get them back can't it yeah i mean it's really i mean i'll give you an antidote to this you know let's 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 be honest sort of 20 years i've been working with groups of well, uh, you know, it's not just young men, it's young well, females as well. Let's, let's yeah. not say that young, young, young women are, are massively vulnerable to CCE and CSE. Um, mm. they're, both, you know, they're both intertwined and such. But, you know, I've always worked with different groups and cohorts coming through of 15 to 17-year-old lads, uh, some lasses as well. And, you know, I could put my hand on my heart and say, look, group of 12, you know, six months worth of work and interventions with me even though they was already known to youth offending teams in and out of youth offending teams not in education and so forth you know obviously dealing dealing some sort of level of drugs carrying weapons getting involved in some violence you know i could i could honestly say that six months or years worth of work you know three or four of them i could probably two or three maybe could get on the program in terms of obviously natural lead they got some natural leadership about yeah. them you know three or four others we could support into their chosen at the time their chosen career pathway they you know one's really entrepreneurial got the gift of the gab yeah. um wants to earn money simple wants mm. to earn money you know all of a sudden we've got a an opening a, a top state agent who just he just slots into that role and all of a sudden yeah. he's earning money um you know others will just sort of sort of settle down with partners and just eat and then they de-escalate their behaviors unfortunately mm. You know, it's going to be two that everything's chucked at in both statutory and voluntary sector. And unfortunately, there's just going to continue in that criminal or yeah. risk-taking behaviours. The difference is now is, and this is the problem, not so much, you know, obviously I haven't encountered this on the island, but certainly in Portsmouth in the last sort of three, three years. You know, I'll be speaking to young males, especially about their aspirations at 14, 15, 16. Yeah. And we would talk about their uh, maybe someone's got an interest in 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 working within property or construction or estate agent and and the opportunities that we were talking about would be they would rule them out straight away because because the money that they would say that they could earn 
mm-hmm. their pedals, they would put it, selling yeah. drugs within um, w- w- over two hours would equate to what they would get in a week's worth of work. Um, so that's that's what you're contending with. You're contending yeah. with a ruthless, you know, not always OCGs. Sometimes it's disorganized crime, but it's adult criminals. Um, not necessarily linked to OCG, but increasingly it is linked to OCGs. Um, mm. um, and, and so you're talking to a 15-year-old. You've got a bit of trust. There's a bit of respect between you. You're talking about an apprenticeship program or, or something like that. And, and, you know, they can get £220 a week or something, maybe get a little bit of a bonus from someone if they do a good job. And they say, well, I can, I can earn that on my bike in two yeah. hours. You know, some of it's bravado, but in, in some cases they probably are. Yeah. How do you, you know, and then you talk about, you know, getting caught, the violence, going to prison, you know, they're, they're earning this much a week and what that would equate to if they get prison time or young offenders institution time. You know, let's be brutally honest here, that they're, they're actually being exploited. They're actually victims. Yeah. Yeah. They're, victim, they're victims. And, you know, they could be, they could have been victims since they were 12. Mm-hmm. They don't know any different. So, but it's, what's the solution? Yeah. Where yeah. is that solution when they're already, you know, got loads of solutions when it's prevention and it's early mm-hmm. intervention, but when they're on the cusp, it's when they're in when they're already within that, you know, and there's a risk and threat, but at the same time they're also earning decent money as well. They they think they've got a bit of kudos in the local area. My concern also is the fact that they're that most not all the time, but but percentages will be weaponed up. Yeah. And then you still have common beefs. You still, you know, they might be partly in education or whatever, but then they might have a, a, a typical beef with another young person or another group over something completely unrelated to the, yeah. the, the drugs. And the problem yeah. is then, you know, let's be brutally honest, growing up, someone said to me the other day, oh, you know, there wasn't, you know, kids carrying on. I remember I started, the first day I started school, um, I someone pulled a knife out when I was at school to me. Yeah. Yeah. First day, first day. You know, um, and so it's always been around, mm. but the intention to use it and the the viciousness and the, you know, that's that's increased. You know, mm. the problem for me is the other kids that are completely not related to any of this and not being you know, not exploited. They've got no interest in in getting involved in drugs. Um, yeah. But maybe it's a, you know, a, a decent footballer, a bit of a jack the lad, won't back down from anyone. Mm. They're in fear of maybe even the kids are a year younger than them. But if they know that they got a beef with them over a social media post, someone's looked at someone the wrong way in a park or in school, beef over a girl or, or whatever, yeah. the chances are that they will know that the intelligence that that lad's carrying. Mm. So what are they going to do? It happened to me in Portsmouth when I was um, 16. Someone pulled a knife on me outside the Mountbatten Centre. We ended up rolling around. That person ended up stabbed. You know, I was just fortunate that I was wearing gloves that day and the police could see that it was his knife. He'd pulled it on me and it was self-defence. But it's so easy to fall into these things. And because now people are more weaponized, as you said, it's easier to get into these incidents where blades or other instruments are, are being utilized. And uh, the fear uh, that young people have to live with around this um, I think does then start to make them a little bit more paranoid. My son joined COVID and when they used to report it on the news a lot more about knife crime, 
he would just pick up on this. So we stopped watching the news because he was starting to get fearful that actually, could that happen to me, Dad? And it's like, well, you know, the chances are, but I should be having that conversation with an eight-year-old yeah. who's just picking up. And, you know, it, it is so difficult for these young people because the, the, there's those challenges that we've had. The social media elements added a completely new level to it around mm. accessibility and people reaching out to them and that, drip 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 effect of bullying and also stories i've heard and i don't know if they're true they'll they'll sometimes target people from what would be perceived as a better background to try and clean up money through a bank account so if a child's got a bank account they'll say oh look i'll give you some money put it through your bank account and we'll get some and then once they've got them hooked in they're saying well no you're just going to clean my money up for me now and if you don't then the police will find and there's there's children getting influenced in that way as well which for a parent as you're growing up uh, with your child you, you're trying to think how do i prepare them but not make them scared of the world yeah. uh, and equip them for those skills that they're going to need yeah. you know to navigate the, these really you know tricky challenges that exist who, in their world now who would have thought we would have had to be 10 years ago 15 years ago who thought we would have to have these conversations with mm all our children and this is the yeah. thing this is the thing now it's not you know let's be let's be brutal about this it's yes kids that are in looked after care pru's um so forth and so forth are still being targeted and and undoubtedly still been heavily involved uh through through grooming and exploitation but equally you know the the, the straight kid who's yeah. who's got his satchel and his tie could easily be exploited because Obviously, you know, if, if they befriend that individual and he's walking down the street with, I don't know, 10 grand's worth of class A, you know, he's sexual, the local PCSO is likely to stop and search him. Mm. So, you know, this is this is what we're, look, we, but we've got to put it in proportion. You know, the chances of mine yeah. and your children yeah. going out in the community um, and being exploited, groomed, uh, risk and threat is slim. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's still there, mm -hmm. and it's increased. You know, and, and and what shocks me is, you know, when you know you might read a local news report of, of, you know, stabbings and deaths of children and young people now, and not mm -hmm. not main headlines. No, yeah, it's happening every day. Mm -hmm. right? and, uh, look, when I was putting knife prone workshops on on a regular basis and CC workshops six or seven years ago. I think there were some raised eyebrows when I was putting that on from certain mm -hmm. jewels about actually, is this proportionate to the risk and threat? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we're not like some of the the, the, the London boroughs or the you know Midlands mm -hmm. boroughs that are at the time. And I said, it's you know, my intelligence at the time was it's already here and it's growing. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've been proven right. Mm -hmm. But it's what's the solution? This is so complex. Yeah. You know, COVID's, COVID's exacerbated it and not made it, you know, but that, it's not COVID's fault. Mm. Um, it's, it, it, was, it was increasing way before COVID. I mean, the, the economy at the moment isn't out in matters. Let's be brief. It's like a perfect storm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and we go back to all this, youth work and sport, what can, what can, that, what can that add as a solution Yes, it can. It can act as a solution and a preventative, not preventative, but about as a, a as a de-escalation for those individuals that are up are already embroiled in this. But it's got to be part of a much rather uh, a wider, targeted, collaborative approach. But I see sport and youth work being around that 
early intervention and prevention level mm -hmm. about resilience, trust, relationships, best case, you know, give them, give them practical advice about how to get out of scenarios. Yeah. Um, and the guys, you know, some of the guys that I've, or the guy that I've worked with is, you know, I'm going to say this, but he's the best in the business I've ever seen. It's about practical scenarios. Mm -hmm. It's not about, you know, it's not about giving them national statistics and and saying, you know, this this could happen to you, without giving them advice about how to get out of that situation. Um, and and the guy that I, um, the guy Dean Cody, um, Urban Pure Solutions, is by the, you know, there's great people out doing the work, but he's by the best I've seen in the business. So we need more of that, uh, but then we can't have denial either. So you know, obviously some. Some areas are going to say we haven't got a problem here because they don't want to admit there's a problem uh, yeah. because that could affect, you know, could could affect other factors. The fact of the matter is it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I suppose we've we have gone down some, shall we say, more negative routes around issues with 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 young people and things like that. I suppose flipping that on its head a bit, what are the things that you see the positives and the things that make you think actually you know there is actually positives out there with young people i think there's a lot of negativity people can yeah. say quite easily that you know kids uh <laughs> you know do you know what i mean it, 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 it it's there's a lot of negativity towards young people i think yeah yeah i mean this is what i'm saying i i, I and probably the, the main part and i probably amiss of me not to mention it you know youth voice youth participation youth forums is is core of our program and, it, and it's not tokenistic you know we when we when the first part of our program when we started was to develop a fairly representative group of young people across different ages different genders different um ethnicities that that um that represented us that represented themselves and consulted with other young people because it's all right me you know it's me as an old you know young people are gonna go who's that old Who's that old boy walking around the streets asking for our, for our opinion? You know, it's much better for uh, for their peers yeah. to engage in them, but but making sure, and this is crucial, making sure that those peers are fairly representative of the local community. You know, mm -hmm. let's be. I'm not taking away any anything from those young people that gravitate towards youth councils, youth parliaments. Yeah, that are gonna go on and go to university and do politics economics or other you know but they may not have any ever social dealings with some of the young people yeah. that need to have a voice in our local community yeah it's yeah. how we it's hard work it's the hardest piece of work that i've probably ever done but it's how do you how do you form a collaborative group of young people that respect each other from different demographics yeah that can come together to form a powerful voice and be empowered to have that voice and that influence in their local community. And that for any work, whether it's sports work, whether it's youth work, whether it's arts work, that is absolutely vital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there something that you, you think back on your career that is linked to this where you, you've been most proud of? Is there one moment um, that you go, you know what, that's something that sticks uh, out for me? I mean, there's there's lots and lots. I'm, I always get asked this question, and I always get it asked at uh, sport for development or sports conferences, and 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 I begrudgingly sometimes have to go. It was an arts project because <laughs> <laughs> that's not what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, but I think what happens is I think sport when you get young people involved in sport or outdoor activity or leisure activities. 
I think you see the gradual. You see mm -hmm. that gradual. I mean, I'll give I'll, I'll give you one example. We 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 done a survey with young. We do surveys with young people on a regular basis, and there's always an activity or sport that pops up, and you think, "Wow, where's that come from?" And then you do a bit of a deep dive, and it's usually typically uh, a secondary school. A PE teacher's got a keen interest in fencing or or, yeah. or something else, and the kids have six weeks worth of tasters, and they want to do it. You get the occasional Olympian or or something mm. in the local community that becomes a celebrity, and everybody likes it. We done a survey about four years ago, and archery came out. Okay, and I don't know about forty kids said they wanted to do archery. And when I deep dived and asked them why, a group of fifteen of them why they wanted archery, I was shocked by their answer. The answer was Games of Thrones and the Hunger Games. Okay, and the result, and the resulting piece about that, and it's probably this, you know, the resulting piece about that was we 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 had some young people that attended those sessions that were. Uh, self-image issues were not, you know, they were introverted. They lacked confidence. They weren't taking part in any physical activity, boys and girls. And it turned out that, that a couple of the boys were being really bullied in the school and local and local community. And so what we did, they came along, they met a new cohort, they got involved in a weekly archery activity, and then they progressed to want to do things like basketball and cricket. Hmm. Then their confidence grew even further that they wanted to take place, take part in our informal five-side games when it became pretty obvious that the, the, the perpetrators of the bullying, some yeah. members of that historic group were the footballers. Ah. As soon as that young person joined the football league, you know, by this time they got they got a little bit more confidence. They weren't fully confident because they were really nervous coming into that, and we we picked up on it. The boundaries we put in place that everybody's treated fairly with no bullying. Yeah. As soon as that broke that bullying down, that probably been historic. Mm. That young person's confidence went through the roof. They joined a gym and they went from being a south overweight, south image, completely quite vulnerable and socially anxious to confidence. And I think that individual went on, joined a sports course at college and just flew in terms of their so bullying can have a massive impact on mental health and, and young mm. people um but yeah it's um i'm, I'm good guys i'm gonna have to go because i've got another that's fine that's fine that's not a problem and thank you like that's a brilliant story to finish on i i wouldn't have ex <laughs> starting with game of thrones getting kids into playing football is is not what i was expecting to hear so julian thank you very much for your time it was really enlightening it was also incredibly interesting and i have a feeling we're going to get a lot of comment back from our listeners so um it'd be good one last question was just really how can our listeners find out more about you or how can they follow you know are you on social media or yeah, so, so, I'm, so I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter personally, uh, Julian Wadsworth, and then uh, our, our work Twitter account where, where we post a lot of updates on our program is, is Bay Resilience, at Bay mm -hmm. Resilience. Okay, we'll so, share that on the show yeah. notes as well so people can find out more. Brilliant. Julian, thank you very much for your time, mate, and sharing all those insights. I know it'll be massively beneficial to people in and out of this sector who want to just have an, a better understanding and insight. And also the positivity like Dave's touched on and the work that you've touched on there of, yes, the majority of young people are in good positions and will go on to achieve great things. 
and the work that needs to happen to support these other people uh, find their aspiration and where they want to get to is invaluable. And uh, it's, it's the, the most important work to help some of these young people who can be a bit disaffected to find their route. <laughs> there he goes.